God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Temptation. <clears throat> Temptation is what is on the agenda for today. This uh, video clip is hopefully familiar to you, or at least the story. Uh, it's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the book by C.S. Lewis, and this movie that's from I don't even know how many years ago now, 10, 12, something like that. And Edmund is one of, one of four kids who finds his way through the wardrobe into the land of Narnia, which is in the grips of this evil, wicked queen. And he runs into her, and she, this is the scene where he, who has all along doubted that Narnia even exists and mocks and terrorizes his sister who first finds Narnia, this is the moment where he has his introduction to Narnia, and she's able then to present to him his deepest desires, which is Turkish delight. Has anybody ever had Turkish delight? I, I read this book um, years, ages ago. I had no idea what Turkish delight was. The first time I had it, I was so disappointed. It just was not what I thought it was. It's kind of gross. I don't, but anyway, that's not the point. Edmund loves Turkish delight. <clears throat> it's, it's what he deeply wants, and this queen can produce that for him. And you see here her means of trying to get him to bring his siblings to her so that she can kill them because the prophecy is that these four sons of Adam will come and overthrow her kingdom. She is the illegitimate ruler of Narnia that has real power and the ability to lure people in and to imprison them and ultimately to destroy them for her own purposes. <clears throat> and Edmund is sort of getting caught in her web. Now, what you saw there is what James describes here in the first portion of this chapter, of this passage in chapter 1. James says that temptation is born out of your inward desires. It's, it's not something being implanted in you and something happening to you as, as much as it's coming from inside of you. Now, there is an outside actor in temptation as well, but it doesn't happen without basically your own consent and desires. Edmund has multiple desires that we saw there, right? I mean, what's the most obvious one? He wants Turkish delight. That's what he wants. But deeper than that, you can see very quickly that he has these desires to be over his brother, especially his brother Peter. He doesn't want to be on equal footing with all of his siblings. And what does is, what is the queen speak to him of how special he is, of how singular he is, how he should be the prince, the king of Narnia, and they, his siblings, should be beneath him as servants. So those, those are his real desires. And similarly, when temptation comes to us, 
Temptation is whispering to us about these desires that are already rumbling around in the guts of our bellies. James starts talking about this, remember, by talking about trials. And that's, that's why I asked Amy to, to come and talk as well. It's because trials, James says in the beginning, happens to everyone. Trials and suffering will happen to you. There's no magic formula for people to avoid that. Trials will come, but temptations are not sent from God to tempt you. In the middle of trials that God allows you to endure, there is this point of vulnerability which it becomes easy to listen to these whisperings. And if I could sort of exegete Amy's story a little bit, you could hear how those temptations are working them out, themselves out in Amy's story. And I think she, she deals with them quite well, but you can hear how somebody is going to come and whisper into her ear about competency. You're, you are bigger than this. You are more in control than this. You can control this problem away. That's often the, the temptation that I experience in the middle of hard time and trial is to make everything that's happening about me and the way that I should control those things and make something better. And if I actually was king of the world, this would not be the way that things were. So I, I'm familiar with that voice of trial and temptation. But of course, temptation doesn't have to happen only in the context of explicit suffering. Temptation comes to you and me all the time. We live in a world that has got landmines of temptation all over the place. Obvious means of temptations. Advertising begs you to be covetous. You know, the, the way that social structures are arranged begs you to, to crave power. We have all kinds of means of, of sexual temptation that's waiting for your eyes and your mind to go places that it should not. And those things come at you whether you're in the middle of trial and suffering or not. And there's this thing inside of you, James is saying, that, that is being called to. Is beckoning, that is beckoning you. What's, what's difficult is that oftentimes those things that we want can very well be good or at least taste good like Turkish Delight does. You know, there's, there's nothing intrinsically wrong necessarily with having a good job, paying your bills, taking care of your stuff that you need to take care of. But it's not, not a far step off that path to move into the world where actually I don't, I don't just need to be responsible, I need more. And if I had as, as much as or as much more as the person next to me, then I would be okay. And it's easy to branch off even good desires and find yourself in a dangerous place. And, and you and I know, all of us, if we're honest with ourselves and looking at our lives, the way that we've lived, and the ways that we've pursued and gone after temptations as presented, experience a reality that you hopefully saw in this little video clip. You know, he has the, the, the goblet of hot cocoa. And once he gets the Turkish, 
Turkish delight. She, he takes it, she takes it from him and gives it to the, whatever, dwarf, gnome, the guy. And he throws it, and what happens? It just explodes in snow against the, the tree because basically it's nothing. It's, it's basically an illusion. And, and if you give yourself over to the pursuit of temptation, you'll find that once you grasp it and you finally get the thing that you've been craving, you're desiring, it's like your, your hands close around nothing. What you're left with is the desire. You don't even get your hands on the thing that you were desiring. You just close your hands around nothing. And if that's your experience, that's not, you're not alone. That is the nature of the thing of temptation. That's why James is saying this thing, this temptation thing, this playing on these desires, that rumbling around in your guts and your flesh is what he's really saying. That will leave you grasping down the path all the way till you grasp death and death grasps you. If you you think that you can fish in the sea of temptations and hook the thing that you want, you will be alarmed to soon find that on the other end of the line is a shark that will eat you, not a thing that you will eat and land for yourself. It It is easy and natural to think that you can manage temptation. You, you, heard that, you heard that temptation. Amy spoke of that. I, maybe I can manage my way through this. I've experienced that. Maybe I can manage this. I know this desire, that desire, this secret thing that I have, nobody has to know about. Maybe I can just manage this in this small corner of my life, and it'll be fine. And what James will say, what all of Scripture will say, what Jesus will say, is that thing is not coming to be managed. It is coming to enslave you. And it is coming to kill you. There are people in this room right now that feel enslaved by sin. Anxiety, sexual sin. You can go on down the list. There are people in this room who cannot get out of the grips of that thing. It's, it's entirely common, but it's so private and singular that most people will live their lives desperately alone, hoping that nobody will find out and hoping that they can figure a way to wiggle out themselves. That is the horrible, terrible name, terrible way of temptation and sin. And James contrasts this with God. It says, temptation is evil, entirely evil, and it leads only to death. But that isn't from God. For one, you, you can't blame God. You can't, you can't say, well, you know, God made me this way, so it's kind of his fault. Which is the classic human ploy. It's in the Bible. This is basically God's fault. It's nobody's fault. It certainly can't be my fault. It must be God's fault. And James says, no, you can't pin this on God. Because he himself cannot be tempted. He has no part in his nature with evil. So if he can't even be tempted, he's not going to be tempter. You can't pin it on him. 
not only is it just not within his nature, it's not how he acts towards us. James uses this example, and he, he, tell, he calls God this unchanging, unshifting one who he says is the father of lights. And he's calling to mind the, the stars and the planets and the, and the heavens that they move around. You know, they're, they're not in the same place in the sky all year round. They're moving as the seasons change and we move around. But James is saying, in contrast to those things that he's made, God is fixed. He's unchanging. It's the same idea that he used in the first part of the chapter when he talked about the nature of doubt because it's double-minded within us and shifting and moving. And even then, in the beginning, he says God is not like that. He is he's permanent. He's steady. Here again, God is singular in his character. He's good. He's just good. You and I are complicated. In, in Christian theology, though, this, this blew me away when I first heard it. Our assertion is God is not complicated. God is simple. Now, if you've spent time thinking about God, that seems wrong. That can't possibly be true. But what I mean is we are complicated people. I am complicated. I don't have to, I won't speak for you. I am complicated. There are parts of me. There's lots of parts of me. There's my body, and there's my spirit, and there's my, my mind. There's the things I want over here, contrasted to the things I want over there. I'm a father with some people. I'm a husband. I'm a friend. And there's just all these things about me. There's all these parts to me. I'm complicated. But God, there are no parts. There's just, there's just God. There's, there's no double-mindedness in God. There's no multiplicities of character. You may experience Him in different ways at different times, but you're the complicated one. God is simple. And God is infinitely, simply good. With, with no change, no clauses, and no exceptions. God is simply good. In the middle of complex evil inside of us, inside and outside of us in the world, God stands singularly within and without being who He is. Good. And James is his proof of this is you. His first example. Of his own will, he brought us forth of the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. His example of God's goodness is the very people who are often entangled in the briar bush of sin. What he's, what he's saying there is your existence as the people of God, the people who can be loved by God, are proof of God's character and His actions. The fact that you are even here to be loved by Him is proof that He does good things for you, that He does things, good things to you, and 
that he is going to do good to all of creation. This is the remarkable thing about your and mine existence, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You are only the beginning of what God wants to do in the whole world and in all of creation that makes our time here so fraught with trial and temptation. It is the existence of the church that is God's declaration to the universe that His goodness will win out. God is good and will do good to His people. This is maybe the central temptation that humans have been presented with the whole story of the Bible, the story of humanity, the central temptation from the serpent to the people is that God is holding out on you, implicitly saying, God must not be that good. Whatever you are struggling with, whatever is holding you, whatever keeps coming after you, whatever beast keeps trying to chase you down, in the middle of that temptation is a claim against this truth. And you may be trying to track down goodness for yourself in any number of ways that you could list. Security, sex, power, advancement, respect, whatever it is. In the middle of that, it says, surely I must provide for myself because God is not good and He will not do good to me. And the truth is, you may have given in to that lie without thinking, or sometimes by thinking, over and over and over and over again. And so the shame of what you've done washes over you again and again and again and just drives you deeper down the hole of temptation. Now I am worse off. Surely God will not be good to me now. And now I'm even worse. And surely God will not be good to me now. But the good news of the gospel is that God is good and that He will do good to you. It does not matter how deep the hole of temptation is that you have fallen down. It does not matter how deep the cup of death is that you have drunk. It does not matter how much Turkish delight you have stuffed down your throat. It does not matter how much your belly aches from it. It doesn't matter how deeply you betrayed Him. You cannot out His goodness. The gospel this morning is a call to you. Do not mess around with Turkish delight. That temptation, that will kill you. Do not continue down the road that you've been going. Turn away from sin. The gospel is also a comfort to you. If you have messed with Turkish delight, and you have run down that road a million miles an hour for years. God's goodness is good enough 
to hook you and bring you home. Because at the center of the gospel stands Jesus. And in the moment of crisis, in the moment of deepest trial, Jesus confessed the exaltation of God's desires over his own. And he said what we could not say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus stands at the center of the gospel because he's the only one who's big enough and good enough to make the news good. Jesus put himself on the cross and trampled over death because you could not defeat that little voice in the middle of all your trials and all your desires. And he is still the father of lights that presents himself to you without any shadow of turning. He is good enough, even for people who are not good. This morning, that's the good news before you. Turn away from sin. Turn away from temptation, both now and again and again and again. And when you stumble and when you wander, do not doubt that God is simply good and will continue to be so towards you. His cross stands planted in the ground as sign and testament and proclamation of that eternal truth to you now and forever. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you present yourself unchanging. There is no variation in you. There is no complexity brought out of division. There is simple and infinite goodness in you. Father, we, we need you. We have so many moments where we don't even think about not needing you. We just act like we don't need you. We get ourselves into so many situations where we look at our own hands and say, how have I ended up here again? God, I pray for all of those who are burdened under the weight of sin this morning. They feel the weight of their shame. Maybe they're Christians who said, I should be better than this, and maybe they're not who still feel like they should be better. God, I pray that you would come and speak a word of deliverance to them, that they need not be imprisoned by their sin any longer. Father, we have all been tempted to doubt your goodness to us. The voice of the serpent still echoes in the world. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us from the inside out, that our ears would be tuned to your voice, that we would believe that you are good and you will do good to us. Help our hearts to believe and trust the goodness of the good news, that you are now and forever good towards your people. Lord Jesus, we need you. 
We thank you that you are up to the task of our need. Help us to see you more clearly, to believe more faithfully, to love you with everything that we have. You are our only hope, Lord Jesus. And our hope is sure. Thank you for this. Amen.